When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto, on Monday, April 4th. Psyched to be with you. Absolutely fantastic month of tennis. March Madness. Tennis always provides its own version of March Madness, Indian Wells in Miami, and they always surprise to the upside, in my humble opinion, and this year was extra special indeed. I mean, it seems like Indian Wells was quite some time ago, but geez, it was a fantastic tournament. Of course, we had that changing of the guard moment with Alcaraz facing Rafael Nadal. We had Igis Fiontek rising to the title there. And then in Miami, things got even better. You know, it didn't have to be better. We didn't think it was going to be better because at the beginning of the tournament, we had Ash Barty retiring at the age of 25. Seemed like some bad news right there. And we heard about Rafael Nadal's uh, stress fracture in his rib. That was some bad news. We had a a bevy of withdrawals, Muguruza and Halep pulling out on the women's side and the seeds having tons of trouble early in Miami. But then it all panned out so nicely. Igis Fiontek locking down the sunshine double, becoming just the fourth woman in history to achieve that feat. And then we had Carlos Alcaraz, just about a month shy of his 19th birthday, storming to the title, winning his first Masters 1000 title and becoming the youngest champion in Miami Open history what a march it was and a little bit of april and we've got richard pagliaro who was down in miami last week here to talk about it so let's get to that interview right now see you guys on the other side richard pagliaro from the miami open this is awesome how was your time down there Oh, it was beautiful. I mean, and I got to admit, I was a little apprehensive going in because, you know, Roger, defending cha- uh, 2019 champ, wasn't there. No, no Novak, no Rafa, no Serena, no Venus. And But it was a, it was just a, a, a beautiful tournament to just see these two break out, Carlos and, and Iga, and also to see Naomi come back and to see her catch, you know, go so deep in defending and played a great match against Carlos and also to come through in the doubles. Coco had a good doubles run. And, yep. you know, the weather for the whole time I was here, it, it held up. They were worried about storms uh, for the finals, but it held up. And I'd say the big thing for me was the fans were so passionate and so into uh, Carlos especially, but also Iga and Naomi got a huge reception, which was great to see because it, she left the tournament with a smile on her face despite, you know, a really sort of a blowout final. So it was all good all the way around, and it really exceeded my expectations going in. Mm-hmm. And wait, now you have been to the new site before, right? Right, 2019, I was there when Roger won and Ash Barty beat 
uh, well, Pushkova in the final. But I'd say the site looks better now than when I was last there. They have done some stuff. It's I liked it better. I mean, they, and I, not that I didn't like it the first time. Um, I mean, we could get into that later, just about the site. But I, I think they have improved it. I mean, it's it's a really cool experience to be there. Mm, we will get into it later. Actually, before before we leave that subject, I want to ask you: Where are you guys? In, in, are you guys like in some kind of Miami Dolphins media room down there? Yeah, it's the Dolphins media room. It's called the uh, Edwin Pope media room. It's in, in honor of the Miami Herald uh, editor. And so you're kind of on an angle, but they have pretty co- – in the stadium, they have a pretty cool media box. But a lot of the matches I sat, they also give you the option where you can sit in the crowd. You're like on the baseline, but in an ang- you're to the left of the chair umpire's chair, right across from the photographers. Not and a lot bad. of matches I sat there because it's shaded and also to be in the f- crowd with the fans. I wanted to hear – what they were saying, and also the cool thing about Miami, unlike the Open, is they allow the flags in there. So you saw a ton of Spanish flags, Polish flags, yeah. uh, some Japanese for Naomi. You saw even the Greek flags for Sitsipas. So the fans were really, like, they feel part of it because they're able to express their support. And also just hearing what they were saying about Alcaraz and hearing through fans' eyes. And, you know, uh, the, the cool thing about Alcaraz is he's so magnetic that... The Sitsipas match, I was sitting in the grandstand, and there was a family right next to me. It was a father, mother, grandfather, and little, like, seven-year-old kid, and they were so into this guy. It was incredible to see three generations just how enthusiastic they were behind him, and I think that's just so great for tennis that his appeal crosses generations. Like, just everybody is into this guy. He's so exciting to watch. Yeah, wow. It, you you caught up. You've been to Miami twice now. You had Federer and Barty, and then this year you get these this these like coming of age stories with Igor Swiatek and Carlos Alcaraz taking the title. I mean, you you've had some pretty special runs in Miami. So, let's talk about let's go back to Iga. You show up a week prior to this. You know she's won Indian Wells. Take us through what you were able to watch Iga do in Miami and how did you interact with her in the press room and what is your overall take on this amazing player and and the amazing run she's on right now? I mean, to me, the big two takeaways were, you know, first of all, like you said, the stamina to be able to go coast to coast, back to back. Obviously, other players have done it, Graf, uh, Azarenka, Kleisters, but to do it in those conditions where you're going from the dry heat, and it was pretty, it was pretty hot the last few days. I mean, it was really nice weather last few days. It was high 80s. It was much more humid. So just that part, the stamina, the confidence to carry it through, but also her composure that, you know, she's comfortable in this place, and you think just becoming number one, that's a lot of pressure, a lot of attention, a lot, of, and she seemed really uh, sort of a relaxed, intense. She was relaxed, but when she was on the court, she was intense. And But when she came out for every match, she had a smile, she engaged with the crowd, she waved, she was really sort of into that interaction. There was a lot of Polish fans, a lot of people behind her, and her tennis was just dynamic and beautiful. You, I think three bagel sets of the 12 sets to do that after what she did at Indian Well. I mean, she was not only beating people, I mean, she was destroying people. And to take someone, a four-time Grand Slam champion like Osaka, I have tremendous respect for her game. And basically, I mean, she just dismissed, I mean, seven games in a row, she wasn't even really, I think it was eight points she won in the second set. I mean, yes. it was a total blowout. I mean, it was, it was just astonishing to me, the level that she was able to maintain. But you see up close when you see her, like the little things, the footwork, the feet are always moving. She's always getting uh, prepared. 
And also just the, the shot selection. She's so sharp. She's so clear. She knows what she wants, wants to do in the execution. And she's just a, such a tremendous athlete, even moving backwards, moving forwards. You try to lob her. She's got a good overhead. Uh, yeah, she's really exciting. And she seems just mentally in a, in a really good place. And, you know, just to think that we all thought of her kind of as a, not all of us, but many people thought of her as a clay quarter. And then to see her come right out of the box, the first three WTA 1000s, Doha, Indian Wells, Miami three, even though all three hardcore, three completely different sort of conditions, three different balls. You have to all the adjustments and to see her do it so convincingly, it, it's really exciting for the future of the game. My goodness. I mean, looking at looking at Doha, Indian Wells in Miami, looking at some of the wins, Kazakina, Sabalenka, Sakri, Kontovate, Towson at Indian Wells was a three-set match, one of the rare times she goes to three sets. Kerber took her to three. Then the match with Halep, which, uh, you know, credit Halep, who was able to force her to a tiebreaker, seven six six four. Sakri again, Coco Goff, Kvitova, Pagula, and then Osaka with just a crowning achievement. Not only is she playing incredibly well, she's doing it in the finals even better than she does in the other rounds, which uh, to me is something that uh, just hints at how special she might become one day in terms of like that this is not a fluke, this is not a one-year thing or two-year thing, that, that I can see her being a genuine force in the game for a long time to come. I mean, who knows? Things change. Look at what's happened in Naomi Osaka over the last few years. But, I mean, geez, she is just Yeah, uh, it's impressive. impressive, and it's funny you say that because after, after all the finals weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine named West. He's a Miami writer, and we were talking, and we were saying, who do you think can dominate more long-term, Iga or Carlos? And you can make a case they both could dominate. You know, obviously he's not there yet. He's not at number one yet like she is, and he doesn't have a grand slam like she does. But these are two young players that you could really see, I think, dominating the sport. And even Naomi, afterwards, she was asked about a rivalry and she said i've always said that rivalries are what the sport needs it makes the sport so exciting to go around but she said we've only played twice and we would she goes you got to play at least five six seven ten times to have a rivalry but you would like to see that come through but there was no rivalry in that final i mean she was definitely <laughs> the, the dominant the dominant force and the other thing is she's so smart and she just the way she talks about her game and where she wants to take it and with the coach, you just feel like there's a plan going forward, too, that she's not a complacent person or a player, that she really wants to figure things out. And just the last quick point on her game is I thought Naomi made a great point about her game where she said, you know, she has a good serve. It's not like a great serve, but her serve is very good in terms of placement. But what she really does exceptionally well is the next ball yeah. right after the serve, that if you don't get the return deep enough, even if you hit it hard, it doesn't. The next ball, she's on that ball, and then from there, she. And I thought that was a really perceptive comment because you don't think of her. She has a really good serve. Don't get me wrong. You don't think of her as a huge like like Osaka had 18 aces against Benchich, the priory. So you don't think of her as like a huge serve, but she 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 works the serve so well, and she's so quick. I, the minute you you leave the ball semi short she's just on it so she anticipates that so well and she's on it so quick it's it's really exciting to see i did notice that especially in the final cuz osaka was you know stepping in close 5 to 7 feet inside the baseline sometimes and it, and even when she hit good returns it 
didn't really seem to matter. But what do you think? Yeah, and Osag even said after she felt confused. I, I she said I was confused. I didn't. Now to me, she definitely should have dropped back more because it was almost like she was disrespecting to serve that close. But look, we all know Naomi Osaka when she's playing well. That's she can play from there and she can rip the returns. And like you said, she was hitting some good ones. It's just that they were coming back better. So I thought in that case she would have been wise to drop back, but I think she just reached a point. She made another good comment where she said, you know, I had a plan A and a plan B, and the plan A is basically play my game, go out there and rip the ball. And the plan B was just to pull back a little bit of pace, but she said you can't really do that against Iga because if you pull back the pace a little bit, she's just on it so fast. So I think she just felt uh, sort of squashed, like what do, what do I do, where do I go, and it, she knew it wasn't her day. Yeah. It really feels like Fiontech's decision to hire the new coach with Karowski and then to be more aggressive this year has added another element to her game where she can just go on the attacks so convincingly at times during matches. And then, of course, as you mentioned, all the other stuff is still there, the footwork, the tactics, you know, the shot tolerance. She has it all. And adding that extra element of aggression, which I guess she was just a little shy to do last year, and, and little do we know that was maybe what's holding her back. But, I mean, it, what do you think it is that makes her so dominant? Why can she go through these tournaments as she has done before, as she did at Roland Garros when she won the title in 2020, losing so few games, handing out bagels? What is this element that she has that allows her to dominate like that against all types of players? Well, I think she had the forehand, the spin on the forehand is more profound than most players, and the backhand is flatter. And her precision off both wings, she really, not only does she hit the ball big off both wings, she really places the ball really She's very precise with those mm. shots, and also on the run. Some of these players, like Sabalenka, she hits the hell out of the ball, but you make her run, you stretch her. A lot of times, she'll slap it into the net, she'll hit it five. I mean, you get Ega on the run, she's still accurate on the run, and her athleticism is outstanding, but for me, the big difference is the toughness, where I don't know if it's just the confidence working with the coach or just the 17-match win streak but the Pagula match was really for me the toughest match of the tournament for her because Pagula hits flat and hard and she can crowd the baseline and take your time away and the crowd was really getting behind Pagula because they wanted that third set and for her to turn it up like like she did in the clutch and I think it was eight points in a row whatever it was that run that buried the mat the toughness to know this is where I have to close right here I don't want to go three and then to be able to do it was uh it was special hmm. That's great. What what an incredible situation we have with Ash Barty retiring, and that being sort of depressing at the start of Miami, and then it's kind of, it's kind of like well, okay, it sort of makes sense. Maybe maybe Ego was going to overtake her anyway at some point this season, the way she's playing. But it's it's been amazing. But Carlos Alcaraz, you were there yesterday watching this guy win his first Masters one thousand title, become the youngest. Champion in Miami Open history, the third youngest Masters 1000 champion in history. Is is this guy, is he a good player? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's pretty good. He definitely knows how to play. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's sensational. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, just to, to see the crowd just embrace it. I mean, this guy is going to be a superstar, but he's already a obviously a phenomenal player, but it's rare that you have that connection between, yeah. I mean, these people love this. And I was there for the Sitsipas match, and Sitsipas had some definitely some support, some Greek fans, but I would say like 80 to 85% of the crowd was 
not only pro-Alcaraz, they were vocally pro. I mean, you heard it every other point. It was almost like a Davis Cup kind of atmosphere. They're so in. I realized Miami, it's a bilingual community. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people from all over, you know, not only Europe, South America as well, but his appeal to people, they know this guy is the real deal, and they're just so excited to be there. To me, the whole, if I had to pick one word to sum up that finals weekend, it was celebration. You felt like you were at this celebration of a new Hmm. sort of star, the dawning of a new star, and then the crowning of a new number one with Eagle. You felt like you were part of something bigger, and everyone was kind of celebrating that. People were partying, drinking. There's a lot of bars there, but in a good way. Everyone was in a good spirit about it. And, uh, you know, he brings that out in people. His passion makes you passionate watching him, and you just want to see more. And if you just go back, if you didn't see much of the tournament, you go back and watch the, even the first two games of the Sitsipas match, the double twin, where they both hit twin. I mean, people yeah. were going, they were stomping on the, on the uh, metal chairs, and people were going crazy. I saw guys with water <laughs> bottles banging them off the rail. I mean, people, it was like a party. Like, this yes. guy, and, and he gets people fired up, too, just the way he plays, yes. his energy, his passion, just his love for the game. It's contagious. It's lust. It's not love. It's love, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. said it so well. His passion makes you passionate. I mean, that's what we love in the sport, is to have this... I mean, of course, there's a Rafa connection, and there's like, I think people are kind of vibing a little bit off, like, the new Spaniard in a certain way which is totally cool but but yeah he's a he's his own unique entity and he does have this passion and he does have more edge than rafa i notice in terms of he's kind of a little bit more edgy in terms of he gets a little bit more angry at himself at times i don't know what really remember very oh, well yeah, and, and a perfect 18, example when sits pass hit that ball in anger and it almost hit him in the head not that it oh, almost yeah, hit him yeah. in the head but it was head high he stared him down he looked right at him like dude i'm i'm looking for an apology here like you almost hit me in that in the head and sits pass but he you know for an 18 year old to have the uh you know just to stand up for himself like that he let him know like i'm here to compete dude don't be don't be throwing you know drilling a ball in my head you know and he that fired him up it was good to see that too he he stood up for himself mm, yeah he does embrace the uh, the competitive element of the sport he's so ready for a fight he's just bristling from first ball and that's what's so attractive about watching him play and you know you mentioned the Sitsipas match that was incredible i thought stefano started so well and really had a game plan and an attitude to potentially you know gain um, um, a bit of revenge for for new york and he just could not do it he played he well couldn't do he couldn't it. do even it the pre, even the pre-match where he's like i'm gonna put my i mean you could tell he was riled fired up and you could tell that the game plan was like i gotta get on top of this kid early to take him and the crowd and he did he succeeded getting up early but i mean alcaraz is flip i mean it was like a tidal wave of 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 emotion and shot me. I mean, he just got on some kind of role in that match. I mean, it was phenomenal. And then, you know, the Kachmanovich match was really the match that won him the tournament, you could say, in retrospect, because he could have definitely lost that match. And he was lost the first set in the tiebreak, and then he's down again, and he just fought so hard. Kachmanovich really deserves a lot of credit, the, the Sunshine double that he's produced. Yeah. But to me, that was the pivotal match. But you're right, it's a pass had him right where he wanted him. He was up on him. He was subduing the crowd. And then once Alcaraz flipped it, it was just mentally, you could see, he, he just took it out of him. And I was sitting on the same side as Enquist, and Enquist was trying to fire him up. And, like, from the second set on, he wasn't even looking at, at Enquist. He wasn't even, I don't want to say he mentally conceded, but he just couldn't, he just couldn't connect at that point. He was just... 
he was just emotionally muted. He, yeah. It was just too much for him. I felt <laughs> it's pretty. It's 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 hard to fathom that guys like Sitsipas are now faced with something that they realize is going to give them problems forever and and it's going to change their concept of what they can accomplish and how they can get to what they want to accomplish because now there's this rising force in the way of guys like Sitsipas, Zverev, even Daniil Medvedev who's now down with hernia surgery and will be out for a month. I mean, there's just a little a new dynamic in the game and it must be interesting for these guys. I was thinking maybe in one way these uh the, the the next gen guys might benefit a little bit from the focus being off them, like a guy like Andre Rublev. He, not as much is going to be expected of him now with with everybody focusing on Carlos Alcaraz. Maybe it helps some guys, maybe it hurts others. But the bottom line is everybody's going to have to now be going through Alcaraz. And I was watching a lot of the post match coverage on Tennis Channel yesterday, and it was just so so like enthusiastic about Carlos, the stuff that Andy Roddick said, Martina Navratilova, Jim Courier. Martina Navratilova is putting him in the Hall of Fame already. He said the only thing that keeps him out of the Hall of Fame is if his body breaks down. I'm like, this is just insane. But he does that to you. He makes you excited, and that's what's fun about it. I think a lot of people... Some people are probably rolling their eyes about, you know, someone like an 18 times Grand Slam champion like Martinez saying the only, he's got everything. The only thing that keeps him from the Hall of Fame is, is his body. And I'm just like, wow, that's a bit of a projection. But I mean, he's he's doing it. He's doing it. So amazing. And then you got to look at him three and in finals and he handled Casper Ruud really well. It was down in that match as well. Yeah, he came out understandably a little bit jittery, you know, first Masters, uh, 1,000 first hardcore final two, and also you're playing a top 10 player who knocks Zverev out and, and looked damn good doing it. And, uh, you know, again, he finds a way to flip the script, and I think what he does really well is he understands how to use the front court better than a lot of players his age, because he... Not only did he close really well at the net, even championship points, serve and volleyed, he understood... You know, his drop shot is phenomenal, and he, he understood that's not Rude's game. He brought him in a few times, lobbed him, passed him. He can work the front court better than anyone, and even Juan Carlos Ferrero in the interview after, he said, they said, what's his best surface? He really didn't give an answer. He said, we don't really know, and he said he's different, you know, from a lot of the previous players, that he's so good and natural moving forward. If you, if you get a chance to read that presser, Ferrero used that word a lot, natural. It's natural in him. It's not forced. It's not something labored. It's not like, oh, I got to get to the net to do something. It's just a natural progression where he sees the guy out of position. He knows he can come in and close. Or alternatively, he sees this guy wants no part of the net. I'm going to drop shot him. And some of those drop shots, he's just phenomenal. I mean, there's just pure winner. And he's he's drop shotting like sits a pass. These guys are super, super fast players. They're real. Sits a pass, a beautiful mover. And he's dr- cleanly drop shotting him. It's. It's, it's incredible, and he's not only doing it early in the game or when he's up. You know, you see Kyrgios, he's up 40 love, and he'll do the underarm serve. I mean, this guy will do it in a tiebreaker when he's down, when, you know, a set is on the line. He just has so much guts and so much, such a high match IQ and, and an ability to read the opponent and read the situation. And I'll tell you, I don't know what the stat is on the drop shot, but I, he couldn't have missed more than a handful. But I... And I was at a lot of those matches. He didn't miss many. I mean, he missed some against Rude early, but once he gets it going, and he drop shots off the forehand even better off than he does off the backhand, which is unusual, yes. I think. 
Yeah, you're right. I think it was 51 of 60 points one heading into the final when he used the dropper. I mean, it's it's ridiculous the nuance that he plays with, the variety that he has. I mean, that's one of the things we're excited about Sviontek. Alcaraz has all the same things. You've been you've been excited about his lob, the the combinations that he can pull off. He he doesn't need to do it. You think of him. I think when he was coming up, you're thinking the word beast came to mind when you thought of yeah, Alcaraz. He's yeah. going to be a physical phenom, and he is, and he moves probably the, already is probably top three mover in the men's game right now. But it's all the ways he connects the dots, all the tools that he has. And he has precision. He can go up the line with the backhand like as is really like one of the premier forces in the game. And that's how he used that's how he beat Sitsipas. That's how he's winning a lot of his matches. Exposing other players' weaknesses. He he has enough tools that he can implement any game plan he's given by his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero. So I mean, the sky's the limit. We we have to be excited about this. Can't wait till the clay. And let me ask you, because nobody seems to know, obviously he's pretty good on hard courts, but do you think there's going to even be a best surface for this guy, or is he just going to be an all-court player? Yeah, I think he's an all-surface player. And you look at some of our most iconic champions who ever lived. I mean, Samper's a dominant champion. He never won Roland Garros, never even reached the final. You look at Borg, one of the greatest ever, never won the U.S. Open, never won Australia. I mean, this guy, conceivably, if he, like you said, if he stays healthy. And we don't also know how he's going to play. Martina said that. (laughs) Yeah, Martina said that. But, I mean, he, to me, he, he... he can win on every surface. I mean, he, more of his titles have come on clay than hard. I mean, so, I, but at the same time, his game is so dynamic in terms of he can be assertive or defensive that I think the fast surface might be better for him. And also, we got to remember, he's not yet 19. He'll be 19 in May. So you got to think his serve is going to get bigger. And his serve is already pretty big. I mean, yeah. I saw him hit several over one. When he wants to go big, he can. But he's smart enough to throw in the kick as a first serve. He mixes it up well. I thought Casper Ruud had a good comment after where he said, you know, he doesn't. he's not like an A server, but you can't attack the serve. And also he understands patterns not to give you a pattern on serve where he he'll give you different looks but he can serve big when he wants to do it i mean but he's and he's not a guy that you know you look at so many recent players who've had even zverev one of the most dominant first serves he has so many second serve issues not recently but in the past this guy doesn't have a usually a young player the second serve is the weakness where it's just hard to shore that his second serve is damn good i mean he doesn't have a weak he doesn't have a weak shot to me that's the thing his strength is he's good at everything yeah and uh, so I think, yeah, I think he, he will be an all-surface player. To me, the question is, you know, the health, but also the, how do you play under pressure? Hingis used to always say, you know, it's a lot easier to be the hunter than the hunted. And yep. when you're the hunted, it's a different kind of pressure when the whole world is expecting you to win. It's a different, it's a different ball game. But mm-hmm. his mentality is so strong. Um, uh, yeah, I think, he, I think he's going to do it on all surfaces. And he loves to play. He loves to, that enthusiasm, that, that, that same thing with Iga. They want to learn. They want to get better. They're not complacent. You know, yeah. he's hungry. He wants more. You know, I look at it like his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrer, his nickname was the Mosquito. Rafa was the Bull. And Medvedev is the Bear. To me, this kid's a young lion where yeah. he can just be the king of the giant. He, can ju- he has the power, the strength. He has it. The finesse. He has it, the understanding. He really has, fundamentally, he has 
he has it all. It's putting it together and sustaining it under pressure is, is the question. Yeah, yeah. The time will tell. That'll be. I mean, we're all excited to see it. I mean, but it's great for tennis. And, and I know I, I never want to compare anyone to the big three, and I, and I hate when people do it. But I would say this: I saw, I was there when on Kibis game when when Rafa took uh, the young Rafa, 2005. He took Federer to five mm-hmm. in the Miami final. I saw Djokovic win early there, 2007. This guy at the same age, definitely his game is. He has more, it's a more well-rounded game. I mean, they, those guys didn't volley at that age like, like he does. And uh, so I'm not saying he's going to be as great as them, but I mean, at the same age, he has more tools, in my opinion. Yeah, it's amazing. like Rafa was maybe you were wondering about his serve and wondering what he could do on hard courts and how he was going to do it. It didn't quite make sense yet, right? Where Carlos it really does already seem like almost fully developed of course there's a lot right of and Djokovic in 2010 when he was working with Todd Martin his serve oh, was gosh, a real yeah. question mark. I mean he had that one year he had more double faults than aces where his serve got really shaky for a while and to his credit he fixed it and fixed it in a big way but this guy you look at him there's nothing where you say it's 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 just average like everything is above average that he does especially the movement is is exceptional so that's why I think the clay he you know he's an offensive minded guy but he can defend when he has slides beautifully runs beautifully yeah he's just a, a wonder to watch Yep. Now let me let me put some questions to you Richard both players Igish Fiontech Carlos Alcaraz Iga's as high as you can get in the rankings. Does she run the table this year? And if not, who could compete with her? Who potentially could be a WTA number one during the 2022? Wow, good question. Uh, I'm going to say yes, that she does That she does it, that she does run the table. I'm going to say yes, that she does, because I, I do think she'll have a good rolling Garros as to who could compete with her. I mean, long term, I'd say Osaka, but I don't, she's got to prove it on play to me. She, I and mean, she spoke a lot about that, that that's her intention. That's her aim, but you know, she's not done that yet. So yeah. I've got to see that to believe it first. I mean, she could do it. I believe she could do it, but she hasn't yet. Although she's had good clay seasons, she's never won on clay. So, you know, she is long term, but I think, I don't know, maybe someone like, um, if Andrescu ever got healthy, I have a lot of respect for her game. Maybe someone like um, Benchich, because she can do it on multiple surfaces, although clay isn't her best surface. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a really mm-hmm. it's a good question. She's going to run it. She's got, she stretched her lead to nearly 2,000 points right now. You've got Gritikova about 1,800 behind. Paula Bedos is a player who can really do well on clay and also plays well on hards. Sakari is probably going to... You know, it'll be up to these women to probably, you know, capture a grand slam and also stay hot beyond that. That's how they're going to have to catch her. Um, it'll be, yeah, super interesting. I agree with you. I think Iga runs it. How about Carlos? Number 11 in the world today. He's more than a month shy of his 19th birthday. At the end of the season, where do you see him? I say he'll be top five by the end of the year. Um, I definitely think he'll make the ATB finals if he stays healthy. That'll be um, great. And he could be he could be higher. And I think, you know, just to get back to your original point about the younger guys where it's a good point where it might take some pressure off them. On the other hand, if I'm Zverev, Rublev, any of those guys, I'm looking at him and saying, Look, objectively I believe in my game, but this guy has more shots. I mean he has more game. I gotta get better. Yes. Uh, could because be great. he's that great. I mean it's that obvious. I mean, you hear the other players talk about him from Hugh Hubie to to I mean everybody that played him it's it's the same thing they're all they're all projecting this guy as a future number one and they they're out there on the court so they definitely know so I think it's it's a fear factor also in those other guys you better start getting better quickly because this guy's an express train yeah 
Yeah, he's got he's got like some points to make up, but not a ton. He's got what a third round at Roland Garros, a second round and then at the, Wimbledon. The U.S. Open run is the yeah, big, the quarter. Quarter that doesn't seem like a lot for him to make up. We don't know about Novak and Rafa's been you know but he's training again, but he's had injuries, so he just looks you know young, fresh, eager, hungry, and those are with with that combination with that game. That's a, that's a frightening yeah. proposition. Well, you put him in the top five. That means well, let's see. Number five right now is Stefano Tsitsipas with 5,980 points. You got Alcaraz with 3,411, so about 2,500-point gap. Rafa's number four. He's got 7,000 points, but, you know, a lot will be coming off. Depends on how he's going to play. Zverev is... Right, and Steph has French Open final also. That's points right there. I, I think that's a good call. I think it's a... You know, he's in this period now where, where he's growing every couple of weeks. I think he's going to be better in three months than he is today, which is crazy to imagine, but I think it's that's the way it goes when you're young, right? Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, you got to be also have some perspective because when you see him up, it's easy to get giddy and to get intoxicated yeah, by what course. you see. But the other thing, the flip side of that is he works so hard if you watch him practice. And also Ferrero, you know, was number one in the world. And Ferrero, I thought his comments after were, you know, he's excited but very, very measured. And he said, we don't want to do anything crazy. We don't want to switch anything up. He's been doing making the right steps we want to keep it really natural for him and keep it the way it's going so he's in good hands and and they have such a good relationship that that also gives me more confidence because he's with a guy who's been there and done it at the highest level and he, and Ferrer was always a very even sort of keel guy he was never too high or too low and that's good to have for a young player yeah and there's bound to be some bumps along the road for right sure. i mean right. You know, he's going to fit and he's probably Probably going to come up against Djokovic. Maybe that could be an interesting one. It's hard to say what kind of form Novak's going to be able to produce, but it looks like he'll be back at Monte Carlo. Thank goodness we'll finally see him on the court again. So, I mean, I mean, you know, he'll have some matchups that'll be tricky for him. He'll be playing on some different surfaces, some different venues. You know, there'll be bumps along the road. But it, but if, absolutely. And, yeah. But I think we all know and and that any bumps along the road will only be positives for him long-term. He'll just learn more lessons and find out what he needs to fine-tune and get better at. It seems like he's just on the path, which is crazy. Yeah, and I think the exciting thing with him and Iga is that, that they're both kind of students. They describe themselves as students of the game, and uh, and they want to learn more. They want They understand they have high ceilings, but they're not content with where they are. Yeah. God, it's, it's it's we got a couple of really nice young ambassadors for people to get excited about. It's like this getting these constant messages as the big three slowly fade, as Serena and uh, Serena and Venus are kind of nearly complete with their careers. We're getting and even Ash Barty, which is ridiculous, but it's true. Uh, we're getting a lot of signs that there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of young talent, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good years ahead for tennis. It doesn't stop with with these uh, incredible ambassadors for the game. There's more on the way, so we can be happy about that. That's a big takeaway. So, but before I let you go, Richard, give me uh, off the top of your head a couple talking points from Miami other than these obvious storylines what did you enjoy what players did you like to see anything cool about the ground the site etc yeah well the site you know they expanded it they improved it I'd say there's probably more bars there than I'm just guessing than the US (laughs) Open I mean so it's really people are in good spirits there the site good spirits literally yeah they have the the gondola that goes over so you can get that's cool the overview, to me, the grandstand is the best court on the site because it's probably 5,000, maybe 5,500, but you're right on top of the action. 
and uh, you you just feel like you're part of it. And and the sound from there was some of the loudest sound I heard the whole time. I thought you know what IMG does really well. IMG also just recently completed purchase of the Madrid Open, so they're going to have two back to back. Masters 1000s in their portfolio. I think what they do really well is they understand Miami is an event city, and they had Ultra, the music festival, here simultaneously. They're having a Formula One race after the tournament. They do concerts. So they understand it's not just about the tennis. You have to give people something more. So they try to do that with the, you know, with the food. There's some really good food there with the alcohol and just with the vibe there. It's a really up vibe. It's a young, younger crowd, but I also saw all generations of people it's multilingual crowd you feel almost like a mini grand slam kind of feel in terms of you hear different languages spoken and people are really into the tennis there but they also if it's a blowout match or if it's not a great match there's a there's a ton of other things to do so it's more like a festival feel and like i said miami's an event city so they kind of demand that that you have to have the good food the good alcohol and all that i mean as far as just the amenities there's a lot more bathrooms there's more water fountains stuff like that than than the old site That's it's good. just easier to get in and out of there there's a lot of parking um you know, the one thing, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, they didn't have a lot of that. It's a lot of meat, chicken, you know, mm. stuff like that. They could have improved on that. And I guess my, my only real big gripe there is the stadium. It's not a great tennis stadium. It's just not – it's not that it's bad. It's just you feel a little bit disconnected just because of the – you're in a football stadium, mm. you know, a stadium yeah. within a stadium, a box within a box. It's a, a little box. haphazard. Yeah, and it, and it, so they do the bet. The the cool thing is the sound system, the video screens, and all that. But you go to see a tennis match, you don't want to be looking at a video screen. You could do that from your house or from your computer. You know, you really want to see. So it's just it's not their fault. It's just the the circumstance of the stadium. Now, I think what they should do, or if they could, is just build a, a tennis only, maybe twice the size of grandstand or one and a half times the size of grandstand, and you would get a rocking feel there because the fans are so passionate. Mm. The problem with that is the reason they moved there, and the, one of the big reasons was they needed the luxury box revenue. So the reason I think they'll keep it in that stadium is because the luxury boxes, they make a ton of money off that, and those boxes were filled. And, you know, people, they have the screens in the box, they're air-conditioned, they have the food delivered, all that. So it's sort of... I, see. I don't ever see them moving. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I don't ever see them moving out of that football stadium and doing a bigger tennis-only stadium. But if they did that, it, it would be really, really cool. But, you know, you got to remember, it's the Miami Dolphins Hall. It's a football site. Yeah. The other thing was, I was talking to one of the Miami writers who's lived there his whole life. He was telling me that the Miami Dolphins owner, uh, Stephen Ross, he's bought a lot of that land around right immediately around the stadium and that the the feeling among some people in the community that you're going to see gentrification there either condos or some sort of new buildings around there so then maybe there is a chance you'd see a tennis club or something but he said the general feeling is they're going to be doing a lot of building around that area because it's basically strip malls gas stations stuff like that there is some residential a bit away but he thinks they're going to build it up so who knows what what the future is but hmm. i'd say overall it's a really exciting it's a fun tournament and especially a year like this where, like I said, you don't have the big three or Venus or Serena. For them to pull off those exciting kind of finals, you know, it's just a testament to they understand we got to make this more than tennis. We got to make this a fan experience and, and, and have like, like, people left with a smile. Mm. And also the EGA match. 
people stayed for the trophy. If that was the open, people would have been out the door because it was sort of loud. But people stayed, and they appreciated the play. It was nice to see the fans give back to the players, and, and the players appreciated that. Osaka said after she felt like crying, but she just doesn't want to cry in public anymore. But crying tears of joy, not, you know tears of sadness so yeah. that, that was good it was all good the vibe's great you know it's just the stadium isn't great yeah that's i think if you're thinking about the last few years it's better than my expectations of it were i think they've done a pretty good job and you know if they don't move out of that stadium maybe they can find some other ways to kind of box it in and make it feel more like a yeah. stadium instead of instead of looking into the cavernous corner there where you see right. like this stands or miles back i don't know it, it looks okay on tv though i must say as doing it as doing the tournament from tv land like i did i thought it looked pretty solid i thought it, and the vibe you like like you mentioned was was better than i've seen it even um even in the year that Federer and Barty won that was at 2019 and it just really there was a lot of electricity and a lot of new energy there so i think it's headed in the right direction so hopefully it made some money we need we need the tour to make money we need the players to make money we need we need everything to stabilize right now yeah, and the last thing, last point I would make is the doubles there is pretty fun. Like, you saw some good doubles teams with Isner and, and Hubie, you know, Coco and Kay. I mean, there's some good, if you're a fan of doubles, Kyrgios and Kakanat, there was some good doubles action, and people were into the doubles. They supported it. Uh, they were great tennis fans in my in South Florida. They love tennis, and they really supported it. And I, and I agree with you. I was there for all the Federer matches, and the, it was electric for Federer, but I felt like the enthusiasm was just as great, if not better, this year. Um, you know, for young players, for really understanding these are our superstar players, these are our futures, and, and the fans were totally on board with it, which was which is great to see because everyone's sort of predicting doom and gloom. What are we going to do in the big three? What are we going to do without, you know, people sort of yeah. look at the downside, but there's a lot to feel good about, too, if you're a tennis fan. Absolutely, yeah, we're in a, we're in a good spot, I think. Maybe you have to be a little more on the inside to know about it, but um, I think the the rest of the world will start to figure it out pretty soon. Um, we got some good stuff going on. Well, cool, Richard. That was awesome. I'm glad you got down there and, and provided great coverage for Tennis Now throughout the week. And um, Yeah, well, thanks to you because you posted all that. was the one <laughs> other downside. I wasn't able to post directly from there because of their Wi-Fi. Not their fault. It's our system yeah, but you yeah, were able yeah. to you basically did it all so oh, thank you no i didn't you it was easy it was easy you were I like the count carlos alcaraz of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> right in the open so oh, thanks man. for doing all that that was awesome you did great work and i appreciate it and i'm sure our readers do as well thanks for coming on richard let's um let's chat pretty soon in the clay season because um it's going to stay exciting that's the way our sport always goes and we're looking forward to uh, a change in venue get some red clay going yep Looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Chris. Appreciate it. Take care. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for, one, trekking down to Miami, braving the heat, spending some quality time at the Miami Open, and, of course, thank you, Richard, for sharing your insights with us. And special thanks to you guys for listening. You guys, if you want to stay in touch, you can find us on social at facebook.com slash tennisnow. On Twitter, you can hit us up at tennis underscore now. We're on Instagram. Of course, we love it. If you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, you can go into your Apple podcast app. Just type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast. Voila, you'll find us. Or just Google Lucky Let Cord Podcast anywhere you want. It'll come up. And again, we love it if you listen. We especially love it if you appreciate it and let us know that you do. It means a lot to us. Um, What else can I say? It's on to the clay. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week.